0: Being a CISO is like waging a never-ending chess game against players you don't know, can't see, and attack without warning. On this podcast, cybersecurity experts have a pragmatic dialogue on cyber risk, current attacks, and security trends. Welcome to the CISO's Gambit. Hello, welcome to the CISO's Gambit. Today, I am very happy to be joined by one of the leading security leaders and practitioners in the world, Don Marie Hutchinson group CISO at the London-based BAT, who are the creators of the number one vaping brand, VIEWS. In her role, Don Marie is responsible for the security of the company's e-commerce, retail, smart manufacturing, and connected devices. She has years of enterprise information technology experience and is an expert in data privacy and security, including information risk management, IT governance across healthcare, insurance, retail, and higher education. Don Marie, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks, Sean. Happy to be here.
0: As I was going through some of the prep notes, I realized very quickly that since the last time we spoke, you have won two additional global CISO recognitions, most recently with the CSO30. And also named as one of the top 100 CISOs globally.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, um, I think the, the name of the game right now, um, for being a CISO is really all about transforming security organizations and getting innovative. And, uh, and I think that leads to success in that area leads to awards. But more importantly, it's an award and a reflection for my team. All the hard labor is happening at at my team. And I think those awards are more for them than me, if we think about it.
0: Well said. I am curious, though, and I'm sure the audience would be very interested, is when you get approached and somebody says, hey, you've been nominated for this, is it to the point now where you've had so many of these recognitions. And as long as we've known each other, I I can probably rattle off another six that I'm aware of. And does it get old? Or is it one of these things where it's like, wow, it's really cool to continue to see my peers and other industry leaders really acknowledge what my team and what I'm bringing to the table?
1: So I think everybody is motivated in different ways. You know, some people are Motivated by money, some are motivated by advancement and some are motivated really with just some recognition. And I'm one of those people that will work like a mule for the hard yards. And all you really need to do is pat me on the head every now and again and tell me I'm doing a good job. And so when these awards come up, they are deeply special to me because it's, it's the kind of acknowledgement that fuels me that just kind of says, yes, you're doing the right things. And because word has gotten out about the great things I'm doing, I also take that more as an appreciation that my team is doing the right things. And so when you think about it: like, how do you get nominated for these things? Well, somebody has to hear that you're doing something really cool. And so if I'm doing something that's cool and inspired somebody else to talk about it, well, then that's more the recognition I think that I feel from than the plaque itself. What is special to me this year is. I don't think it's a secret that cybersecurity isn't rich with women professionals, you know, kind of leaning on the ground, uh, broadly, not a whole lot of us. And so this year was the first time I received an award where the pool wasn't limited by my gender. I've, I've had, you know, top 30 women CISOs, eight women to watch 12 most influential women in cybersecurity. Well, that's all cool. But it's almost like saying we're going to take this group of professionals and create their own category because they can't compete in this bigger category so this year to have been awarded top 100 global ciso was really special to me in that it was the first time that my gender didn't define the accolade
0: that's a great point and it would appear and correct me if i'm wrong here that this is a huge step in terms of more progressive views towards ensuring that a professional is looked as a professional first and everything else after.
1: Yeah, I, I think, um, I think it's a recognition that when they look at the pool of candidates, they have to say to themselves, okay, wait, who are we not hearing from? Who are the voices that are unheard? who are the people that are tirelessly doing the things and and seek them out and so i think there's more effort to engage with a, a broader audience
0: it's exciting to see more diverse perspectives coming into our industry because you inspire a lot of people and people are saying wow how how do i move towards that level what are the things that you feel have really helped you as a senior executive to really stand apart in your professional work and consistently be able to deliver which is so hard in any industry let alone arts and putting the awards and the accolades to the side what are the things that you can point to that you confidently can lean on that you believe have been critical to your success
1: so um i guess it must have been you know, around 2010, uh, I went to my boss, who was the chief security officer at Independence Blue Cross, Dave Snyder, and I was talking to him about continuing education. And I said, I, I think I'm going to get my master's in IS degree, because I've kind of always been an ambitious sort. And he said, "Re, you know, you've never been truly inspired by technology, That that isn't what makes you good your ability to communicate and your knowledge and commitment to the business is what stands makes you a standout so have you thought about getting a business degree instead and i pursued the mba and today a decade later i still think that that was the turning point in my career because if you think about it in 2010 we were just starting to say cybersecurity is a business issue it's not a technology issue and it was only just really in small circles we were saying that and so really i kind of got on that train very early so when i graduated from university with my mba i i got the cso job at urban outfitters within a couple of weeks so i went from information security consultant to CISO in really one quick move i would say the other part is in graduate school you present a lot. You present constantly. And uh learning how to present concisely difficult information, lots of data, ineffective presentations, I think still to this day sets me apart from a lot of our technology peers who tend to get in the weeds, they have too much on there, they're trying to over-communicate, very complex conversations instead of breaking it down into really small pieces that are easily digestible by business executives. And so one of the things I recommend when I mentor is always tell people, get a Toastmasters class, because once you figure out how you're received and how to present, your message will land better with your audience. And that in its own will help you to be more successful.
0: It's funny you mentioned the the MBA. You were one of the very first CISOs that I had met, that was coming from this broad and also very deep set of skills that included advisory, consulting, being behind the desk as a senior leader, and then also as a business person with your education and and your experience. And it's, it's a really good point about the education aspect. And I myself can't claim any of this because I haven't gone through it. But to this day, uh, you're still one of the very few CISOs that I could probably name on one hand that actually went through a full-blown MBA program. I think it's a very important point to build some of the tooling that's necessary, whether it's communication or understanding the language of business. That seems to be one of the things that you're you're hitting upon.
1: Yeah, and, right? and I think that the um the new you know education program is I've just finished the National Association of Corporate Directors curriculum on certified non-executive directorship. And similarly, you know, it wasn't uh, obviously it wasn't as rigorous as a, a, a full-time MBA program, however, it was challenging and it puts me in a different position with my board of directors. And even to the extent that just a few weeks ago, a member of our board said, you know, listen, I'm I'm not afraid to ask you the hard questions because I know you've got it. And uh, and she's right, because I am comfortable talking to the board. And, you know, I've spent the last decade in the boardroom, either consulting on incident response and crisis management, educating boards on cybersecurity risk issues, And it puts me in an interesting position, you know, as the SEC is, you know, issuing guidance and stricter regulations about CISOs or someone with security expertise being on the board of directors. I think there's an opportunity here for security leaders to consider how their future might look if they had a board seat, but you're not getting a board seat without business acumen, strong understanding of business drivers, business strategy. Business risk and really putting in those extra miles on learning a different type of discipline
0: you just hit upon something that I wanted to get your perspective on, which is communicating to the board of directors and also to your peers at the at the senior executive level. one of the things that uh, I remember in my early career not knowing and perhaps this was a lack of my education because I came up through bootstrapping on the technical side, not knowing where to start. When I was told by a colleague or my boss, in one case, the general counsel said, hey, I need you to prepare a board deck to get across the reason that we need a million and a half dollars for a BCP DR test. And I was like deer in headlights. I couldn't find any good examples because all of the board decks that were templates and examples, they were all coming from a non-cyber point of view. Now, in your experience and through your training, for somebody that, let's say, can't go at this point in their career to B-school or for whatever the reasons, and they want to better prepare themselves for those difficult conversations, which not all of them are difficult. Sometimes they can be. What would you recommend to them in terms of sharpening their saw to be prepared when the time for them to present or engage with senior executives?
1: So here's here's what I tell everybody: even as CISOs going into interview for the job, if you've not read your company's last two or three annual reports, then you have not done what i consider to be a very baseline activity to understand what your job is about because your job isn't about securing gray boxes that blink in the data center so understanding what your company's mission is and understanding how you fit into that mission that's how you prepare for those things and when you're reading your annual report you know if you don't understand what the statement of cash flows is you don't understand some of the financial metrics go to youtube you can do you can find out anything on youtube um you know uh my husband has had to purchase a, a tuxedo here in london and you don't rent tuxedos in europe you own the tuxedo in europe and part of that tuxedo ownership comes a bow tie that you must tie none of this clip on action right how do you think we learned how to tie a bow tie youtube learn what a financial, how to read a financial statement on YouTube. Because again, this isn't this isn't B school stuff like this is easily accessible information that will make you better at your job. So if I look at my company, whose um, whole strategic focus is to create a better tomorrow, by putting less risky products on the market for adult consumers. So, okay, well, how does cybersecurity affect that? I think, okay, well, the company's goal is to cr- increase sales in non combustibles and new category products. So, if I look at all of the systems and business processes in the, in the new categories line of business, can I articulate what the risk is to that new category's business that my business can understand? You know, if we want to go from 15% of revenue to 50% of revenue. In a particular product category, and I tell them, "But if this, this, or this happens, that'll negatively impact your revenue generation from that product line." They get that. If I tell them that their web applications should have firewalls and secure coding, and that they should follow OWASP, I have failed before I got through the job, right, before the door. So, focusing on understand what your business objectives are understand what the targets that the ceo is trying to hit what metrics has he promised to board and shareholders and then figure out how does what you're doing align to him hitting those metrics and communicate cybersecurity that way because um i tell you nobody cares about your patching metrics
0: nobody on being in tune with the business it's something i've always said which is you got to know how you get paid from that point of view One of the things that's continued to shift is what's happening at a macro level is we're starting to see the outcomes of poor decision-making, poor risk management, where you have large organizations, let's say in the travel industry, an airline, let's say, paying now a premium for a lack of preparing the business for how business is now really conducted. And it has, to your point, very significant revenue and trust implications, especially when you're a service industry. What do you believe is important for all security leaders or those folks that are currently in a individual contributor role or mid-level management role that are considering moving up into a much more senior role?
1: So I think the first thing is, um, hubris hurts. So, um, think about and check down your own ego, because I think what we often see, and we see this in the cybersecurity community more broadly is so purists or security purists who come up through the ranks and they end up talking to their business partners, um, like, Gosh, you should be doing this, 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 and this, and we should do that, and we get super preachy about what cybersecurity should and be and does look like, and and people close down and they don't listen, then, right? A different way to go about it is building a risk governance program, ensure that you have the right stakeholders in the room, and it's a small group of stakeholders so that decisions can be communicated without them having to have egg on their face about a decision that's made so i often advocate to other CISOs, right if if we stick to the old faithful uh cia triad who's your confidentiality stakeholder it's legal right like we can argue all day all night yeah well all the parts of the business rely on confidentiality but increasingly that's your legal partner that's your your general counsel You know, we talk about the integrity of systems and data. Who cares the most about that if you're a public company? The CFO. There's your second stakeholder. And availability really is, we're talking about your CIO. So if you create a cyber steering committee with those three people in the room, one, you're talking to the management board in an intimate session and you can have honest conversations. I think one of the places cybersecurity falls down is we try to push our ultimate vision of perfect security down everyone's throat and it doesn't exist so let that go i think that's my first recommendation second recommendation is if i put 50 locks on the door it's a shitty door it doesn't work as a door and business operates much the same way if you overly lock down the business it can't operate effectively so you have to take some risks in order for the business to operate. And some of those risks are going to result in a compromise. And that's just the world that we live in today. Think about cybersecurity, right? Security is what we used to call it when you were, you were looking to be free from something bad happening. We were looking for purity and safety. It's a, it's an absolute to be secure. And every CISO ever has ever said there is no version of secure ever. Well, I don't know about other CISOs, but I personally have been shifting my corporate mindset to resiliency. Never in our lifetimes have we seen a threat environment like we have today. When you combine the nation state actors with the unprecedented economic situation and the fact that being a hacker has a really, really low barrier. Like our likelihood of occurrence is near certain. It's as high as it has ever been in our careers. We should be focusing a whole lot of time and attention on recovery. And so talking to your business about being resilient rather than secure. Right. And that and you can hear that change in mindset from the security purist who wants to lock everything up to a more business friendly and aware security leader talks more about resiliency lastly never forget that the only person who hears the c and the o in your title is you your information security to them you know that you are not the chief financial officer you are not the chief marketing officer you are not the chief executive officer you're still the new guy at the table so try to check that need or want you know that i get no respect try to check that at the door because you don't get it because you are not that mature yet from a mindset perspective at the management board level so take the nugget that you have right cheryl sandberg don't ask which seat you get on the rocket ship just get on the rocket ship so just get on board with your management team and they will come to see you as a peer but, you, but not if you try to force your way through the
0: door. I've seen this with, with other peers where not only are we trying to make the program just right, but we're also trying to make our role just right. We want to be at the table for everything. We want to be included in, I don't know, M&A acquisition discussions, which depending on the org, you may or may not be engaged in those discussions i have in the past taken it as a almost like an affront that oh how dare they not include me in these conversations don't they know i am so critical to this operation when you recontextualize it utilizing the lens that you've just provided it's more like meh you'll deal with it i
1: mean you yeah, you get the served, out. you know, like, uh, you get what you get and you don't get upset. It's kind of the name of the game, uh, for cybersecurity. It's very funny because I've been a CISO now for a decade. And I remember being like, well, how come I don't get invited to things and wanting to be invited to meetings so desperately. And now I find myself looking at my diary and saying, why do I have to attend all these? Like, that is, I, that is not a meeting for me. And, you know, just mentally just going through and 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 i don't want there are so many meetings that i'm like you don't this is not a cso decision go you know go handle that some of that comes with the size of my organization i think there isn't a market that we don't sell product coming back to it though having to decide that that in itself was a risk decision that got made and the cso you are not responsible to save the company like you're not you're not here to be a shield from people making Different decisions than you would make. You're you're not a protector of the organization. And I think most CISOs would be like, what do you mean? You know, we have this whole hero complex thing. No, our job is to identify and articulate technology risks to management to help inform business decisions. That's what our job is. And so if you're not invited to the table of an MA conversation, it's a business decision. They decided that at this stage that they didn't. Cybersecurity wasn't a component for that needed discussion. Now, you might circle back up with them and explain to them how, um, in the past, acquisitions have gone awry for some companies that acquired intellectual property that had already been stolen or they'd acquired a breach. But that's a conversation for a different day. But you kind of just go, all right, well, I'd have made a different decision or other companies would have made a different decision. But because your job isn't to be the savior. Your job is to be a partner to the business and help them understand this part of our world that is often hard to understand.
0: On resiliency, instead of full-blown prevention, what would you say to somebody that is reevaluating their program, either at the beginning of the year, or as they are moving into their next fiscal year, if you're trying to hit it from both the point of view of resiliency and ensuring that you can recover and respond intelligently and have the ability to mitigate the upfront risks associated with conducting your business
1: look at your organization an important component of looking at your organization structure is first identify your front office from your back office And by that I mean who which part of your organization is going to be interfacing with the business? That's your front office team. So in my case, I have regional CISOs in Europe, Asia, and the United States, and they're facing off to the commercial business and they are supporting cyber risk activities in those markets. That's my front office. My back office is the group of people who, if you think of them like they're almost an MSSP to my front office. Those are the people who make cybersecurity happen on the back end. They solve the hard problems. And in your back office, break it down into who are the people who are solving tomorrow's defensive challenges, right? This is your architecture and engineering kind of group. Who are the people who are responding? You know, in my case, I have the Global Cyber Defense Center. This is my team. And so by separating and making sure those two teams are separate, now i've got one team whose whole focus and attention is on defensive capabilities and one team whose whole time attention is managing impact so if risk is measured by likelihood of occurrence times impact then my likelihood is reduced by my security architecture and engineering team and everything that they do and my impact is reduced by my incident response team and everything that they do separating them out that way keeps day-to-day operational challenges from getting in the way of critical defensive technology deployment right you can't have the same team doing like the day-to-day bau and then also on the side of their desk trying to deliver new technology you know it's, it's always ends up delayed why because the business will always demand your attention these people will just always be burning up so i think it really comes down to looking at your organizational structure and saying where am i managing likelihood and where am i managing impact you can also sell this model up to management really easily when you need more people
0: how so how would that work because a lot of a lot of us have struggled in the past with making the case for additional staffing additional resources and right now with the state of the economy even though there's still a lot of positions that need to be filled in cyber it's taking longer and there appears to be a lot more scrutiny associated with when and how and where you're hiring how are you navigating that utilizing this methodology that you've sketched out to make those cases because i know a lot of our peers do struggle with that and it's not just cybersecurity professionals i think overall certain line of business leaders
1: yeah struggle so you know i'm i'm probably in my career as a leader i often struggle with somebody who comes to me and says i need more people and i always say well what for and they go oh well they do this and they do that and they talk to me about yeah they talk to me about their tactical projects and they go okay well if it's a project that's a contractor right and that's not what they want to hear they kind of go I-, I don't want a contractor i need a, i need a an fte And so to me, they're not talking to me about the outcomes that they're trying to achieve in this team. And I think CISOs often do the same thing. So if we talk to our management board and talk to them in business terms, how many of us have outsourced security operations most, right? Well, I guess it's like a pendulum, like we all go back and forth at some point. But if you stop and you say, all right, well, but I can hire four people out of the university to stare at a screen for me for half the cost as I can pay my MSSP to stare at a screen, right? Get the math down. I think some other places to consider looking is how much of your team is doing assessments? I've got controls assessment here, compliance assessments there, you know, constantly assessing the environment, reporting and chasing. Well, what if I told you that if you have a standard and you, you, flip it and make the business accountable to the standard. And if it's not done, if it's not in place, internal audit will find it, right? But but sending an army of people out to assess your organization makes you no friends. So are you using your resources best? Can't you outsource some commodity roles on your team to fill space? But then lastly, think about where you need people who know and understand the business these are your best argument for hiring more people is we need to build intellectual capital of our environment and that intellectual capital will help us design better controls and technologies to defend the company here's the specialized skill set so if i talk about the views epod 2 is one version of our device and the next iteration will be a connected device well now i have to start talking about connected device security and i need a specialist for that so again connecting it back to a business objective not just some generic role but the the path of the business is to connected devices i need connected device specialists who understand our products to help define the technologies that we need if you just come to me and you say i need more people to do task X, Y, and Z, I'm, I'll, I will brush it off in a second. And half, I mean, it sounds like it's a silly thing, but in every company I've ever worked at, I had this whole, I need more people, you know, why? Well, because we're all working really hard and everybody's at full capacity, well, but doing what? And half the time it comes down to prioritization. Second, it always comes down to, these are people trying to do a BAU activity and deliver a bunch of projects. They can't do both. So separate that out between project teams and BAU teams that run, that's your front office and your back office, and that should help manage your capacity.
0: So Don Marie, as we're coming to a close here, I have a question regarding a comment you made, I believe it was on a, a interview, that uh, CISOs kind of operates in uh, wartime and peacetime, one could make an argument that we're constantly in wartime these days if that's not true or if it is true assuming that it is true let's go with that what would you say to somebody listening that is sifting through their existing program or the approach that they're considering in a wartime perspective to prepare themselves as best as possible for that and then on the inverse if you could leave us with a perspective of what would one do in peacetime,
1: this is one of my favorite conversations because I don't necessarily mean wartime like the threat environment is high because we've always been in wartime right we when I say wartime CIso, I mean the CISO that has had to endure a really bad security incident, pulled it through, sorted it out, led his troops through the incident and continued to lead his troops on to the transformation that had to happen to make sure it never happened again. The peacetime CISO is the complacent guy who, um, for whatever reason is just kind of managing a very, um, in out type of process. And this might be a really highly mature program. It might be a lesser mature program, but just an operating at a service level. but the peacetime CISO has never really been challenged. They've really never been confronted with something. I often say, if I if somebody's resume lands on my desk and they were the CISO for fifteen years at a company, what I really think is, oh, they know security at their company, but they don't. Nec- they're not necessarily going to know how to do security anywhere else. They spend a lot of time in one place. That's a peacetime CISO. Um, and in I've, I've, I've counseled, you know, probably close to 100 breaches in my career. Um, and when I see the CISO get fired following a breach, it's never because the breach happened. It's never because of the impact that the breach had on the company. It is always how they behaved in the incident during the crisis. Were they sitting on in the corner, clickety clacking on their computer feverishly, rather than being present with the board of directors and having, or the management board, having the conversation about the outcomes that are happening. Were they explosive and dynamic and sloppy with their words? You know, did they, you know, I, I told you this would happen. Do they get super dramatic, super heated? You know, when CISOs get let go, it's usually because they couldn't handle themselves. When the pressure was on, so that that peacetime CISO having really never been tested, kind of struggles where the wartime CISO is able to really stand on the bow of the boat, cross the Delaware at Christmas time, and get their troops across the tough cold waters of the Delaware. And and really, that's a skill that has to be developed. Everybody has to get get there sometime but just thinking about your leadership behaviors when you're under pressure. Some people are great at it. Some people are are not so great at it. And as you know, we were at Optiv together. Oftentimes I would bring in a group of experienced CISOs to help talk to customers of a breached entity because it wasn't a good move to put their CISO out there, right? And so you bring in this very calming presence to help explain, to communicate, to manage the impacts of the incident. That is your wartime CISO.
0: Don Marie, thank you again for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to reconnect with you and congratulations again on all the very well-deserved recognitions for you and your team. I really appreciate everything you've shared.
1: Thanks Sean. I really do love talking to you. I like how easy it is to have a chat with you, Sean, we go way back. So appreciate the invite and apologies that it took me so long to get here, everybody.
0: Thank you. You've been listening to the CISO's Gambit. I'm your host, Sean. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this show, please leave a comment and subscribe. content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com.